All right, to frame our morning, I was uh, here this morning, and a friend of mine walked in, and she was a little earlier than she normally was, and she looked out, and she goes, wow, is it always this way in the parking lot this early? I was like, what do you mean? She said, there just aren't as many cars as I thought there'd be, and I was like, okay, okay, that's, I understand that, and then she said, is Todd preaching? And I was like, no. She goes, who is? I am. She goes, okay, that makes sense. And so, <laughs> I was like, that's harsh. So, but true. I mean, I get it. So I'm Jeff Oldham. And I'm the executive pastor here. Uh, Todd Sapisa is our teaching pastor. They are away on an elders retreat. And so that's why I'm stepping in this morning. And then the second piece was my good friend Dax said, he said, the question is, are you going to continue with this series of song of songs? Or are you going to do something kind of a standalone? I said, I'm going to do the song of songs. He goes, <laughs> tone it down a little bit, Jeff, tone it down. So, uh, so we're going to continue in this series, the song of songs this morning. I'd say most commentators don't believe this book is kind of on a strict chronological timeline, which makes it hard to follow at times. Uh, but we have seen in movies or we've read a book where the writer takes us back in time to remember something. I think this morning the author is doing that with our text. He's taking us back in time to give us a glimpse of the wedding day. He's captured a moment in time. It's beautiful. It's captivating, it's tender, and it's powerful. I think Hollywood movies have tried to capture this, uh, this, what the author is beautifully going to describe for us this morning. So uh, let's let the Lord speak to us to paint a picture for us through his incredible and creative word this morning as we look back at the wedding day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a moment in time with you. I surrender my heart to you to let your Holy Spirit, let your Holy Spirit speak. Because my flesh is nervous, Lord. But you speak out of power and truth. So God, you speak. May it penetrate our hearts, the deep truths of who you are and how you love us. Father, speak. And give us ears to listen and hearts to hear. Father, we pray this in the beautiful and, and gentle and saving name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So you guys would open your Bibles to the Song of Songs, chapter 3. We're going to take a look at the wedding day. You, you've heard from Todd as, as the, the, the bride and the groom have interacted with each other, how they see each other, how they communicate with each other. But this is a picture that's kind of taken out of time and a snapshot of the wedding day itself. Uh, this is a picture of a wedding that I actually had the honor of officiating. It was so cool. It was outdoors. Uh, Alyssa, this is her father, Darren, was brought in on a carriage. So awesome. And so you could hear the the clippity-clop of the horse coming. You're like, this is going to be cool. And as they kind of came out of this tree-lined wood, the groom just started bawling. 
I was like, whew, I, I'm, I'm gonna have to keep it together up here. And so I just watched this unfold. It was such a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. But what I read on the groom's face was, that's my girl. How beautiful she is. The most captivating thing on earth in that moment. It was an incredible scene. So as we walk through the wedding day in the Song of Songs, you guys kind of take that picture with you. I just looked down here at Corin and Zach, although you guys aren't sitting next to each other. That's weird. Um, <laughs> they're married. Troubles already? I get it. That's not in my script, by the way. But I was at their wedding as well. It was just such a beautiful picture of God's love for us. So as we walk through that, keep, if you guys were at the, the Sims wedding, uh, keep, a, keep a thought of what that looked like or just a wedding you've been to, just a, uh, or even your own wedding, how captivating that was. So let's jump in. Uh, chapter 3, verse six, 6 says, Who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke? perfumed with myrrh and incense, made from all the spices of the merchant. To frame this, um, there's lots of discussion on what's going on here. Because of the perfume and myrrh and incense, most believe that this was the bride coming in on a carriage. And so it's going to say Solomon's carriage here in a second, but this is the bride coming in. So keep that, keep that in mind as we go. He says, Look, it is Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. We'll come back to that. Keeps going. King Solomon made for himself this carriage. He made it out of the wood of Lebanon. Its post he made of silver. Its base of gold, its seat was upholstered with purple, and its interior inlaid with love. So just for a second, this is an opulent carriage. He didn't send out a Honda to get his bride. <laughs> he sent out a Rolls. This thing is nice. It's beautiful. It's with the best wood, silver and gold. It's upholstered with purple, which is a royal color, and I love this line, it's interior inlaid with love. You're like, how do you upholster something with love? So it's poetry. He's saying, what's inside that carriage, I deeply love. It's his bride. And so she's coming up from uh, wherever she was, up into Jerusalem in a carriage. You get the scene? There's a bill of smoke because there's 60 warriors with her. It's this entourage that's marching up towards Jerusalem. So they were like, let's get out the invitations. So the next line, verse 11 says, Daughters of Jerusalem, come out and look. You daughters of Zion, look on King Solomon wearing a crown, the crown on which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding. Most believe this was a wedding crown, not a royal crown. This is the day his heart rejoiced. This was an invitation for all to come see what was good. And then he sees her. This is amazing. Solomon sees his bride get out of the carriage. Now we're in chapter 4, verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. 
Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending the hills of Gilead. Couldn't you come up with something better, Solomon? <laughs> but think about this. This is an agrarian culture. They're seeing, if you looked at like this really beautiful flock of goats coming down from the mountain, it, it kind of in a pack, it would seem like flowing hair. Obviously, that's what he's getting at. Your, this, is, this is great, though. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. She has white teeth. And this one I love. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. She has all her teeth. <laughs> He's not marrying a hockey player. This is awesome. His language to them was so intimate, though. He keeps going. Let's go verse 3. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind their veil are like halves of pomegranate. He's like, you have a nice shaped head. Uh, your neck is like the Tower of David built on the courses of stone. It doesn't mean she has a football neck. It's regal. She's regal. She's tall. She's beautiful. And he's just describing it the best he can. On it hang a thousand shields of all those shields of warriors. And I've seen this described, but it's a, a necklace that has little oval gold pieces that kind of connect together. He's just describing the beauty of what he's seeing in front of him. Now, to, to go on here, before we get to these next verses, there's some intimate language. Let's just make sure we understand this, because we do have some younger people in the room, is that God designed the human figure to be appealing toward the male. It's good for us to look, if, as guys, if we look at the female figure, we're like, way to go, God. This is good. The physique that God gave us as males is meant to be appealing to women. I think probably in some real interesting church cultures, we can, we can kind of shy away from this language and go, oh. but the Song of Solomon invites us back into what is good and godly. The problem is, is we're the ones that destroy it. We're the ones that use it poorly for our own pleasures to consume and not serve. So as we're reading this language, obviously we want to be tender about it, but it's good and godly. So he goes on, verse, verses 5 and 6. Your breasts are like two fawns, like fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. He likes the way she looks. Then he changes just a little bit here in verse 6. He says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. He's looking forward to his wedding night. You guys get the, the picture? She's coming in on a carriage out of, into Jerusalem, 60 warriors with her. The, chair, the carriage is just gorgeous. And now he sees her, and he's just like undone with what he sees in front of her. And then he says this. I think it's one of the most interesting lines in all of the Song of Solomons. He looks at his bride-to-be, and he says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. When Alyssa got out of that carriage and Matt was sitting there watching her, he said, that's the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. 
And me as a father of two daughters, my hope, and I've, I've, I got to perform a wedding or officiate a wedding last summer for our oldest daughter. And our son-in-law looked at my daughter that way. Amen, amen. I want our sons to look at the daughters-to-be and say there's no flaw in you. It's a beautiful picture of how God sees us, and we're going to unpack that. It's idyllic. The problem is, is that because of sin, sin burst in, and we start to taint everything around us. But remember that this is a poem, and it's laced with symbolisms and illustrations that conjure up all kinds of thoughts. Many times the author will creatively use poetic language to help us draw some conclusions and even reveal some deeper truths. It's idyllic, but there are some truths that are implied here. So as I was reading this, uh, and I just sat with God's truth, a certain section stuck out to me. I I really, Holy Spirit, help, because I don't really know what to do with this passage. And then he brought this to mind. It's verses 7 and 8 in chapter 3. It says, look, it is Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. It didn't seem to fit in because at face value, the verses seemed to state that Solomon was sending out maybe his best warriors as a show of strength, maybe, as part of the pomp and circumstance. It's a royal wedding, so this is the royal guard. But as we look more closely, think that there's something deeper here that he's conjuring up out of creative language. Uh, so to pluck this section out of the, this passage, I'm going to pause the sermon just for a second, and I'm going to frame this as a conversation to husbands. I'm going to have a conversation like we're sitting across the seat from each other at a coffee shop. I'm going to invite, this isn't private, I'm going to invite the wives, singles, kids to listen to this conversation as we reason together as husbands. Because I think in God's word, it's clear that men are called to be the spiritual leaders of our households, most specifically in our marriages. Of the marriages that I know, and Todd has said this before, probably the number one issue in all of the church that we deal with year after year after year is marriage issues. Because that's where the enemy enters in to kill, steal, and destroy. And all of these marriages that are struggling, the ones that we know of and some that we don't even know of, uh, but the ones that we do, every one of the wives, listen, husbands, This is the discussion we're having. Every one of the wives has said something like this. I don't feel valued and I don't feel safe. Secure or protected, however you want to play that word. So now let's look back at our passage, that little section. It says, look, it's Solomon's carriage. What kind of carriage did he send out? He didn't send out his little Hyundai Elantra. He sent out a Rolls Royce because what's inside it is inlaid with love of deepest value to him. In this passage, 
Solomon is saying what's in that carriage is the most important priority on earth. God, you first, then my wife. He says it's escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each his sword at his side. Why is this weird little line at the end prepared for the terrors of the night? Because he didn't send them out just as a show of strength. He sent the warriors out to protect her because she is most valuable. So here's the question. Husbands, do our wives feel valued and secured in our marriages? Now, as a caveat, for the greatest majority of the marital problems that we see, it's not safety issues and physical safety. It's an emotional security most of the time. It can be hard to quantify. It's this feeling that our wives don't feel valued or lovely or protected. But rest assured, it seems to be in every one of them that has these struggles. You see, in an unhealthy, non-gospel-centered marriage, our wives feel dismissed, disregarded, taken for granted. I think that's a big one. Let me give you some examples. I'm going to so guys, since we're sitting down here at a coffee, I'm going to expose my marriage to you. I'm going to give you some examples how I haven't valued or protected my wife, Amy. See if these ring true for you. Not listening. Now I can pretend to listen. I'm pretty good at it, actually. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just, just sitting there nodding. Problem is, is Amy sees right through it because I can let a sporting event capture my affections or I can check my phone while she's telling me her about her day, do you know what rises up in her? Insecurity. Or she can tell me, be telling me about a concern or anxiety that's risen up. It could be about the kids, or it could be financial. And I can dismiss her thoughts by saying and check this, by even thinking it, because our wives can tell what we're thinking. They're good at it. And I'm I, she can look at my reaction to her and think this because somehow I'm communicating what's the big deal. I can even say things that are godly and true, like God's sovereign and he's good. He's going to take care of it. So why are you so worried? Without listening to what my wife is afraid of, she feels dismissed. This one's interesting. Not protecting her from my own family. My mom's a piece of work. <laughs> and she can come at Amy, probably out of her own fears and insecurities. And there was this one time when we were having a garage sale and we were selling everything. And uh, there was a, something that my mom had given us. And it was at the garage sale. She shows up and she's like, what, you're selling that? I was like, do you want it back? She's like, no. I was like, so we're selling it. And so I'm, we're selling this item. And she got all up in Amy's grill. What are you doing? Why would you sell this? This isn't for you to sell. And I was like, pause. Mom, let's have a conversation. I take her into a bedroom, and we're sitting there talking. And she goes, you're really going to take your wife's side? I said, yes, I am. And so I didn't grow up in a leave or cleave environment. I grew up as a mama's boy. 
So for the first part of our marriage, whatever mom said I'm doing, and I try to hide it from Amy or try to her to make manipulate her to go along with it. So I sit down in front of my mom. I know Jesus now. He's like, you follow me. I'm like, I'm gonna follow you. And so he says, protect your wife. So I tell my mom, I've said, now, when grandma, my dad's mom, got in between you and him, whose side did dad take? She said, mine. I said, every time? Every time. So I looked at her. She goes, fair point. (laughs) Since that day, we've had a pretty healthy relationship because good boundaries were set and I protected my wife. God's ways are always the best ways. And this one I hear from lots of guys. When I don't feel like my needs are getting met, my love language happens to be physical touch. So if my needs are not getting met, I can become passive aggressive or aloof or embarrassingly, I can pout like a child because it's all about me. It's not about loving or connecting to the most valuable creature that God has gifted me with. It's about me when I do that. When Amy sees that or feels that, she feels devalued. So what messages are we sending our wives? Again, husbands, we're just, we're just talking here. What messages are we sending them? Would we die for them? Or are other things more important? I've seen this one as well. Lots of guys think that if I just provide for my family, then I deserve respect, love, and affection. A godly wife wants her husband's heart, not his money, not his possessions. I promise you this. Although when I ran this uh, sermon through Amy, she goes, the money's good, though. The money's good. (laughs) Just giving you a little insight into our marriage right there. (laughs) So men, are we sending out our very best carriages to pursue our wives? Are we expecting them to walk to Jerusalem on their own? Does my wife feel valued or does she feel taken for granted? Are we sending out our very best fighters to protect her? Are we armed to make her feel safe? And secure. Husbands, I'd ask her. I ask my wife pretty constantly, how we doing? You feel safe? Are you flourishing in our marriage? And she has full permission to be honest with me. And here's the problem. If husbands out there aren't uh, establishing an environment where it's safe and secure, I'm not so sure your wife will answer you honestly because she may be afraid of the reaction. We must be establishing environments in our home where our wives feel accepted just as they are, valued because they're valuable, safe because we create an environment that's safe. I have this book. It's called uh, What Radical Husbands Do. Here's a few chapters. Create an environment of acceptance. That's a good one. Learn to listen. That seems like a good one. 
Here's one. Learn to lose. We don't have to be right. Amy used to tell me, would you rather be happy or would you rather be right? I'd like, well, it's a coin toss. Uh, <laughs> it's not a coin toss anymore. I'd rather create an environment where my wife flourishes because I follow Jesus. He makes me feel safe. We're going to get into that. For years, I was sending Amy nonverbal messages and probably verbal messages. She's not the priority in my life. So situations arise where she, she knew that she couldn't trust me always to have her back. There's things that I said verbally, non-verbally that communicated she's not stunning to me. I was sending a message for sure. And I think husbands, we have a tendency to do that, not even knowing it, that I find many flaws in you. Because I was looking at Amy through my faulty human eyes, but God in his infinite and beautiful ways invites us back to woo our wives, to exhibit his strength in our marriage. By surrendering to him, this allows us to see our wives through his eyes. This is brilliant, guys. When I start to see Amy through his eyes, there is no flaw in her. The last chapter of Campbell's book is called Give Up. He's a Christian writer. At the very end of it, he says, you can't do this. You, these, the, the steps before this, you can't do this. Not on your own. We have to walk the way of Jesus in our marriage. Matthew 16, 24 says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must, must deny themselves. Take up their cross. You know what the cross was back then? The ultimate form of punishment to what? Death. We have to die to ourselves in our own marriages. And then he says, follow me. I want to follow the ways of Jesus into my marriage. As I deny myself, I begin to see Amy rightly through God's eyes, not mine. I can now see her in the same way Solomon saw his bride. You are altogether beautiful. <laughs> there is no flaw in you. Man, I love my best friend. I didn't see this coming. God is inviting us back to him. Back to his ways. So for those pragmatic husbands out there, you may be asking, that sounds great, Jeff. But how does this work in the real world? How do I create a healthy and safe and God-honoring marriage in our household? So if you're struggling with that, here's a few things to start with. I would invite you to remember back to your wedding day when you were both deeply in love, where your wife was truly altogether beautiful and really have the hope it can be that way again. We're living miracles that it happens. But it only happens one way. If, if you husbands are struggling with it, first, the second thing I would ask you to do is repent and humble yourselves. Admit that I have treated my spouse poorly. I have not loved her, cherished her, respected her, or protected her. Repent today. The third one is get help. Can't do this on your own. 
Invite others into this issue. Your small group, be honest with about, about, about what's going on. In our small groups, we have a tendency to pray for the, the things that are kind of surface level. But the statistics say in every small group, there are struggling marriages. Are we praying for them? We do as a staff every Monday morning. We bow before the Lord and we pray for your marriages. There's a re-engage ministry that uh, is held over at Redeemer. Uh, the drivers, I think, told you guys about that last week. Uh, the Rhinuses, Dax and Thera, are part of that leadership group too. So proud of you guys stepping in, stepping into a world where couples need you. And they need you to point them back to the one that can save their marriages. If This is a simple one. Walk through this book with me. What radical, what radical husbands do. We just need to be recentered. But the number one thing is to surrender to the Lord's ways today. Lead out of his leading of us. Which leads us to what the passage is pointing all of us to anyway. So, time stop. Everyone's back invited into the conversation. Thank you for indulging me, husbands. But first to the wives, I want to say this. If you're living in a house where you don't feel valued or safe, hear this clearly. I'm so sorry. That's not the way God intended. Never was. I'm so sorry. But would God, what would God call you as a wife to do in that type of marriage? And I know there are women in here, wonderful, God-fearing, Proverbs 31 women that do this. Stand firm. Pray for your husband. He's not your enemy. There is an enemy. He's vicious. He kills, steals, and destroys. That's what he does. The number one place he does it in the church is through the marriage. So stand firm. Reach out to trusted friends. Get help. Don't walk through this on your own. Again, we cannot do this in our own power. To the rest of us, many times in the New Testament, I believe Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. So now looking through that lens, let's pause for a moment and look at the gospel message in our passage. God sent his very best carriage for us. He didn't wait for us. He pursued us. And what is in his carriage is the utmost beauty and value to him. What is it in his carriage? Us. Can you picture that? And then when we step out of the carriage and he, the God of the universe, Think about this. The creator of all things sees us face to face. And what does he say to us? How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, God looks at each one of us and sees no flaw. That allows us to step into our marriages on solid ground where I don't have to defend anything. I don't have to be right about anything. He's right. I don't have to be just because he's just. 
Isn't that amazing news, though? God sees you and me, and he wants you and me. For those of you who put our trust in Jesus, he sees us with no flaw. But if you're like me, you may be sitting there thinking, uh, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel handsome. I don't feel beautiful. And it could be this morning you're saying, Lord, you don't know the things I've done. I was an ugly bride 20 years ago. Why would a God want me? If you knew what was going on in my life, and I've shared this story with a few of you, I was walking way outside of God's boundaries. I was not a follower of Jesus. I was living the life that I thought I wanted, what I want when I wanted it. I would hide lots of it from Amy. It was very insecure. And if anything, I was feeding her insecurities by my behaviors, my actions, and my words. I was an ugly bride. I mean, seriously, that veil lifted up. I was like, (laughs) I mean, God would look at me and goes, seriously? But that's not the God we worship. He looked at me and said, you're mine. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Because of your trust in my son, I see no flaw. This is an invitation back to the wedding day. So husbands that haven't made our wives feel valued or safe, repent and return. Wives that haven't been patient with your husbands or shown them respect because I want what I want. And it may be self-protected because you're not always going to get what you want. And marriages are not 50-50 arrangements. They are 100 and 100 mutually sacrificing for mutual benefit to God's glory. It's the only way it works. I give up all of me to love all of her. So for those that we haven't done that, we think it's contractual in some way, repent. For those of you who have known you've blown it, repent and return to the ocean of grace that Jesus offers. And hear these words. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. So the question becomes, do you know that this is the way God sees you? I mean, no. No. Psalm 139 says, my my soul knows this full well. Does your soul feel it? And know it full well. My hope this morning is that you do. Let's pray. Father, we are all ugly brides. We're rebellious from the beginning of time. The seed of Adam and Eve was planted in us to want what we want and get what we want to get. But Lord, you, in your infinite goodness, stepped out of heaven and said, you're mine. You sent your most beautiful carriage to get us. And when you see us face to face, you you repeat those words, how beautiful you are. There is no flaw in you. God, may that penetrate the depths of our heart this morning and help us to love our wives, love our husbands, love our friends, and Father, honor you in all things. Father, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.